invite you to turn one more time, just one more, to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 34. And as you turn there this morning, we are transitioning from our series on prayer to our Easter series. Uh, So one of my best friends tells a story of when he was young, about three or four years old, I think. He was looking at this wood stove that his family used to heat their house. And his mom and dad told him over and over and over and over again, don't touch those red coals, they're hot. They will burn you. Don't touch them. Well, guess what? Uh, One day he reached in, he picked up the glowing hot coal, he screams, he tosses it onto the carpet, he burns the carpet before his mom can get it picked up, and then as she's checking his hand, which thankfully wasn't too badly burned, and bandaging it, uh, this is the part she tells, uh, he says, I didn't think it would be hot! And his mom said, but I told you it was hot, we told you it was hot, so many times, I didn't know! Um... I have a story like that with the stove. I think we all have stories like that. And what they all have in common, besides the fact that all of us got hurt, uh, is that we were all told something very clearly. We were all told it repeatedly, but we let it go in one ear and out the other. And then when we encountered the danger, we were shocked and we were surprised, right? Why didn't anyone tell me this was going to happen? Well, like we did tell you, but you didn't listen. And I'm saying this because for our Easter series, I thought it would be good for us to reflect on two related things as we start entering into it this morning. The first is how hard it can be to listen to Jesus when he says things that are very clear, but for whatever reason, we just don't want to listen to his words or we don't let their full weight settle on our hearts. We let his words go in one ear and out the other. That's actually what our passage is directly about this morning. And then the second thing I want to reflect on is how kind Jesus is to us and how patiently he walks with us, even when we do that, even when we let his very clear words go in one ear and out the other. So in other words, what I want to do this morning is to help us to learn to listen. And I also want us to see how kind Jesus is to us, even when we don't. Uh, so let's get into it. Our points are on the wall. I'll read Luke 18, 31 to 34. Pray, and then we'll reflect on all this together. Luke 18, starting in verse 31. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they, that's the disciples, understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. Thus far the reading of what can only be God's own word. Let's pray together. Father, we know that we can be like the disciples and we can struggle and struggle to um, understand your very clearly revealed words and to grasp them. But Father, we don't, we don't want to be like that. We want to grasp them. We want to understand them. But Father, we know that this will not happen for us unless your Spirit blesses your word to us. And so Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe your word. 
And Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher and may the meditation of all our hearts, may it all now be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So our passage begins with Jesus calling the 12 disciples over for a private conversation. Now, just before this, Jesus has been preaching and teaching to large crowds. And given that he calls the 12 disciples over to him, and that, as we saw last week, those crowds are going to follow him down the road to Jericho, I think we can assume that there's still a lot of people around Jesus. But at this point, Jesus doesn't want to talk to a bunch of people. He wants to talk to his 12 disciples because they are about to leave the region of Galilee, which is up in northern Israel, and they're going to start walking down south towards Jerusalem. And Jesus knows that in Jerusalem, he is going to be beaten, spit on, and crucified for us. This is his last trip. And Jesus wants to prepare the disciples for what's coming. So this is an incredibly loving act. Jesus knows that what is coming will be very hard and very difficult for everyone, not only for him, but also for his disciples. And so he calls them over to start preparing them for the future. And I, I want you to notice that after he calls them over to some private spot, he speaks just very clearly about what will happen. Verse 31, he starts off, see, you can also translate it as look, or maybe more freely, hey, pay attention. It's kind of like, hey guys, up here, eyes here, look at me, guys, look, we're going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about me, by, uh, about the uh, Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, right? Not the Jews, the Gentiles, to so the Romans. And he will be mocked, shamefully treated, and spit on. And after flogging him, they will kill them. And on the third day, he will rise. Right? Jesus is so very clear. He's so very vivid. Okay, guys, pay attention. We're leaving for Jerusalem. And when they get there, the Son of Man, who, by the way, the disciples know is Jesus, Right? They know that this is one of Jesus' favorite ways of talking about himself. So he says, guys, when we get there, the Son of Man, me, I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. They're going to mock me, shamefully treat me, flog me, spit on me, kill me. And on the third day, I will rise again from the dead. This is just so incredibly clear. And it's almost chronologically perfect, right? Handed over, he's going to be betrayed, handed over, shamefully treated, spit on log killed and again this is an incredibly loving thing of jesus to do to give them this level of detail as hard as it must have been for him to do it i know the analogy isn't perfect but this is very much similar to somebody getting a terminal cancer diagnosis and sitting down with his family and saying okay guys like this is reality now this is what's coming that's a hard conversation to begin it's a hard conversation to hear that is what jesus is doing because clearly he does not want the disciples to be caught off guard. He wants them to be prepared emotionally, spiritually, and mentally for what is about to happen. He doesn't want them to be surprised. And so he gives them this clear, vivid, detailed picture of what is going to happen. And I'm pounding away on the clarity of Jesus' speech and his directness because his clarity and directness makes verse 34 so surprising. But they understood none of these things. 
The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. How is that possible? Well, as far as I can tell, there are two options, and deciding between these options is important because the option you take will change the way we hear God talk to us in this text. So the most common reason given for the disciples not understanding this very clear word from Jesus is that the Holy Spirit kept them from understanding it. He prevented them. In other words, if the Holy Spirit had not supernaturally acted and prevented them from getting the point, then they would have understood the point. And I think that is wrong for two reasons. Uh, one, clearly Jesus is trying to love his disciples by getting them ready for what's coming. And it seems strange to me that the Holy Spirit would stop Jesus from loving his disciples. Uh, it seems odd that uh, Jesus would be prevented from loving his people by another member of the Trinity. And so my first reason for rejecting that reading is theological. I just don't think that God the Spirit would thwart the love that God the Son wants to give to the people of God the Father. My second reason for thinking that that's a wrong reading is that the only other use of the word hidden in Luke's gospel is in Luke chapter 19, 42. And there Jesus, just after completing the triumphal entry, is lamenting, he's mourning, he's actually weeping the Jerusalemites, the citizens of Jerusalem's inability to understand the things that make for peace. Jesus says those things, the things that make for peace, are hidden from them. And the things that make from peace are hidden from them, as I read the text, not because God was hiding them from them actively, but because their own commitments and biases and fears were hiding them. As we're going to talk about, the people of Jerusalem saw in Jesus the Savior that they very much wanted to see, not the Savior that Jesus was very clearly showing them. They were celebrating in his arrival in the triumphal entry a warrior king riding in to conquer and to kill as if Jesus was riding in on a war horse in armor, not a peaceful king riding in on a donkey coming to save. My friends, the words of Jesus were not hidden from the disciples because God kept them from understanding them. No, I believe they were hidden from the disciples because Jesus' words simply didn't fit with what the disciples wanted or expected Jesus to say. And that's not uh, a crazy thing. They're surrounded by hundreds of people. Jesus is very popular. Hearing Jesus say, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and there the most popular preacher of the day is going to wind up killed? Like, it makes sense that that's hard to understand. It makes sense that it, you know, struck very in a very kind of solid way against their uh, plausibility structure. But that's what hid, the, hid uh, Jesus' words from the disciples. Their inability to connect Jesus' words to their present ideas and desires and reality. But not only that, you can also see that this is true by the fact that Luke says the disciples did not uh, understand or grasp Jesus' clear words. So beginning in verse 24, Jesus tells the disciples, tells, Luke tells us, excuse me, that the disciples didn't understand the words of Jesus. The word for understand there carries the sense of insight, the sense of 
order, the sense of fit. The idea there is that you're able to perceive at least a little bit, you're able to understand a little bit the way something fits together or holds together. You understand how it could be true in the world and maybe how you can start to adjust your life as though that is true. It's an idea that makes some kind of sense. It's not pure chaos. It doesn't sound crazy. You don't let it simply pass by you. We've all had that experience of hearing something new and we say to ourselves, you know, I, I guess I can see that. You don't have perfect clarity. You're not sure how it all fits. You don't know how everything in your life is going to change. But hey, like, I can see how that's true. The disciples did not have that understanding at all. They did not have any insight. It didn't click into their mental framework. But not only did they not understand it, they didn't even grasp it. And that word translated as grasp is the most general word for knowing something in Greek. And it basically just means you have it in your brain. You know it. You may have no use for it, but you know it. PB is the atomic number for lead. I know that. I have zero use for it, but it's in my brain, right? A squared plus B squared is C squared. I know that. No use for it in my daily life right now, but I know it. I have grasped it. It is in my brain. You all have information like that too, right? Now, given that the disciples of rabbis were expected, as a matter of course, to memorize word for word, the things their teachers said to them? This is a crazy thing to read. Luke is saying that not only did the disciples not understand how to fit Jesus' words into their life, they didn't even bother to commit them to memory. And we have a phrase for that. In one ear, out the other. And just one further reason why I'm confident that this is a good reading. Notice that you don't see the disciples ask follow-up questions. It's not like in the upper room in John's gospel where Jesus is again sitting down and explaining to the disciples what's going to happen. And Jesus tells the disciples, hey, I'm going to go die now. And then the disciples go, wait, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to go die. Wow. And then I'm going to rise again. Well, how are we supposed to come with you? There's this whole dialogue at the very end of John's gospel that ends, starts with Jesus being very clear, answering all the questions, and it ends with the disciples going, now we get it. <laughs> now we understand. Read it at the end of uh, Luke chapter 16, or John chapter 16. You'll see that that discussion takes place. That doesn't happen here in this interaction. They don't discuss it. They don't, they don't ask any questions, and they don't discuss it among themselves like they do when they argue about who is the grace in the kingdom of heaven, right? The disciples hear Jesus talking about that there's a kingdom of heaven and that there's a grace in the kingdom of heaven. And several times throughout their life with Jesus, the disciples spend time talking about each, with each other about which one of them is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, right? There's none of that. They don't go off and they don't pray about it. Peter doesn't rebuke Jesus here and tell him to stop off with all this depressing talk. In fact, they don't say anything. They don't even lament. They don't express fear. None of that happens. They just let it ride. It's in one ear and out the other. My friends, I think this is really important for us to see because we can do this in our own lives too. We've had this experience, all of us, of Jesus saying 
very clear things in the Bible about both our suffering and our resurrection life in Christ, about what it means to follow Jesus in both the life of the world to come and also the pain and difficulty of sacrifice and suffering. We've heard Jesus call us so very clearly to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him if we want to be his disciples. We've heard him tell us that we need to lose our life in him in order to find it in him. We've heard him tell us that unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it will not bear fruit. And then we've heard him very clearly explain and tell us what some of those things look like. You need to die to your desire to strike back so that the new life of turning the other cheek can grow up in your heart. You need to die to the desire to curse your enemies so that the new life of praying for those who've harmed you can grow up in your life. We need to die to our desire to serve two masters so that the new life of God, serving God by faith alone, will grow up more and more in our life. Jesus is very clear in both the Gospels and the entire Bible about what life with Jesus is like, about what it means to die and rise with Christ, not only eternally, but day to day in our life. And he's very clear that these times when you need to die to yourself so that you can come alive in Jesus, they are going to come often in your life. You and I will face time of trial and difficulty that will require us to suffer for the sake of righteousness and for the kingdom of Christ. And it's going to happen over and over and over again. Jesus is very clear about these things. He's very, very clear. And he says these very clear things to us because he loves us and he wants to prepare us for what's coming so that we can be ready to face sacrifice, self-denial, and hardship with minds and hearts that are prepared to meet these things by faith in Jesus, that are prepared to meet these challenges in the hope of the gospel and with the confidence that the resurrection power and presence of our Savior is with us. But to do that, we can't let his words go in one ear and out the other. We have to face them. We need to hear them. We need to keep them in mind, right? We have to grasp them and remember them, and then we need to work at understanding them, which means we need to sit with them. We need to let them interact with our own desires and expectations. We need to let, we need to pray about them. We need to discuss them. But my friends, we can't simply let these words go in one ear and out the other. As I was working on this sermon, I was couldn't help but recall a time that I was sitting with a Christian, and it's no one that you know, although the story might sound like somebody that you know, because this event in different ways plays itself out in all lives of us. But I'm thinking of a very specific conversation. I was sitting with a Christian who was struggling with the idols of pleasure and the pain of self-denial, especially the difficulty of saying no, not just once, but over and over and over and over again. And they were facing this in a very real way uh, that comes from uh, a very real suffering, a very real way of suffering that comes from putting a strong, sinful desire to death so that a new righteous desire could be raised up in its place through the power of Jesus' life. 
And as I was speaking to this person, I, I remember sitting there and I kept talking, not just about, uh, they kept talking, I should say, not just about how hard this was, but how surprised they were that this was even a part of the Christian life. They couldn't believe that this struggle was even happening to them. And as I was talking to this person who was a Christian, who had been a Christian for years, was raised in the church, Christian home, memorized the Bible or parts of the Bible, I reminded this person that this is the way Jesus describes the Christian life. That it's one of death and resurrection. But death first, and then new life. First we come to Jesus and die. We die to ourselves. We die to our sinful desires. And you and me and all of us, we have to do this over and over and over again because as Jesus tills the soil of our hearts, we have to face the stones and the weeds that come up and we have to face the pain involved of pulling them out and uprooting them in the name of Jesus, by his grace. And so a large part of the Christian life is learning how to endure this suffering by faith that Jesus is with you and that he's in you and he's helping you and he's working with you and that on the other side of faithfulness is a better life because as these things die the resurrection life of jesus grows up more and more in us we're more like christ we're more uh, loving and more uh, peaceful and more righteous but first you need to metaphorically die you have to take up your cross and follow jesus then comes resurrection life. And I was thinking of this conversation because I remember at the end of what I thought was a pretty good, like, spiel. Uh, this person looked at me and said, I didn't come to Jesus to die. I don't want to die. And if I had heard any of this when I became a Christian, I never would have said yes to Jesus. Um, now, I know for a fact that this person had heard these things very clearly for years. But like the disciples, and like you and me, these sayings were hidden from this person's mind by their desires and expectations and fears and distractions, whatever combination of those things it was. These things were not understood and integrated into their life, nor were they grasped. They weren't even remembered, right? I didn't know it would be hot. I don't mean to be glib. Um, I've been where this person was too. We've all been there. And I can say very thankfully that this person got through the storm by the grace of Jesus and is walking now well with the Lord. But my goal this morning is to spare us from this same situation. See, Jesus looks, loves us, I should say, like he loves the 12 disciples. And like with the 12 in our text, so with us in Scripture, Jesus speaks very clearly about what life with him is like so that we can be prepared. And my hope is, is that as we journey together through our Easter series, as we look at Jesus' death for us and his resurrection for us and how his death and his resurrection is a pattern that he uses to shape our life in him, that we will grasp his words with our minds and then strive to understand them with our hearts so that we can know them and have them shape our view of God and the world and our view of each other in our view of ourselves, so that we can be prepared to follow Jesus by faith well. Uh, that is very much my hope. Uh, now, of course, there's lots of ways to go about grasping and understanding Jesus' words, and I want to just take a second to think about those with you. 
One way, as we've been talking about so very much recently, is prayer. Right? We take Jesus' words to him in prayer, and we ask him to help us remember them and to understand them and to live according to them. We can also do this by reading the Bible slowly and asking ourselves questions like, what exactly is God saying here? Why is he saying it? How does this word appear in my own life? And we can do these things not just by ourselves, reading the Bible and praying, but also we should do them with other Christians. This is one of the reasons why we have growth groups, so that we can reflect on the Bible together and pray to God together and face Jesus' words together so that we can be prepared to follow him together. In fact, that's one of the reasons why God has ordained weekly worship, because in worship we are faced, I hope, uh, with a weekly opportunity to hear God's word read, to hear it reflected on, to pray it, to respond to it over and over again for an hour and a half. Like, that's important. We need this time if we're going to understand and grasp the words our Savior is speaking to us to help us follow him. Uh, we're going to talk about that more as our series goes on, but Let's end this morning just with a short reflection on Jesus' response to the disciples' failure to grasp and understand his words. So obviously Jesus knows the disciples didn't get it. Uh, on a divine level, he knows because he's fully God and he knows their hearts. On a human level, he knows because they don't respond the way they should have. There's no sadness, there's no fear, there's no questions. It's clear, very clearly in one ear and out the other. Uh, but notice that Jesus doesn't respond uh, the way that we will sometimes respond when we see our words go in someone's ear and out the other. Uh, he doesn't get angry. Uh, he doesn't berate them, which means yell at them and tear them down. He doesn't reject them or stomp off in frustration. He doesn't do anything negative or relationship damaging or destroying. And no, he just keeps walking with them. He keeps them close to him. And as we'll see, he keeps saying these things to them over and over again, which shows an incredible amount of patience and love. As somebody who does not like to repeat himself, this is something from Jesus' own uh, approach to loving people that I'm trying to adopt in my own life. The ability to just repeat patiently the things that matter to you over and over again. And it shows us also, too, that Jesus just doesn't stop working on his people. Jesus doesn't tell us something once, then he's done. He repeats himself because he's a good teacher, and all good teachers know that repetition is at the heart of instruction. And so because Jesus stays close to his disciples and keeps teaching them and caring for them and speaking to them and loving them and bearing up with them, they do eventually get to a place where they get it. As I said, you can see that in the upper room in John's Gospel, chapter 15, where at the close of their final talk about all of this, the disciples end by telling Jesus they finally get what he's saying. They go, oh, now you're speaking clearly and not in riddles, and we understand where you're going and what's going to happen. And you can see that in the Christian that I told you about, who now understands what Jesus was saying. And you can see that in me, who many times can, I didn't give stories about myself this Sunday, but I can tell you stories of times when I didn't understand what Jesus has said, and now do. <laughs> you can probably see that in your own life, as Jesus has just slowly and repeatedly made you face the same words and lessons over and over again until you finally went, ah, now I get it. Jesus does not abandon his people. Jesus loves us. 
even when we let his words go in one ear and out, of the, and out the other. And so my friends, in closing, as you face and as I face the hard words of Jesus or as we struggle to face them, let's do so with the confidence that Jesus will not write us off or fail or, or, uh, or will not write us off if we fail to get it the first time and that he will not fail to continually draw near to us and instruct us and help us. Let's face them with the confidence that after dying with Jesus, you will come to life with Jesus because Jesus is committed to you. He is committed to your growth. He is committed to your maturity. He is committed to your forgiveness, and he is committed to your wholeness. He will lead you where you need to go because at the end of the journey with him, is eternal life with him. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we know that there have been plenty of times when we have let your words go in one ear and out the other. Um, please forgive us for not listening to you the way that we should. Uh, thank you for loving us through it. Thank you for continuing your faithfulness to us. Thank you for helping us and walking with us and continuing to teach us. And in that light, Father, please help us to listen to your words. Please use your Bible and your spirit and your people to help us grasp your words and keep them in mind and understand them and integrate them into our lives so that we can be prepared to follow you by faith as you lead us to glory. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.